Hi there, Pastor Austin Vondracek here. Thank you for joining us at Rosewood Church Online. My prayer for you is that this message will be used by God to bless, teach, and challenge you today. And whether you call Rosewood home and are catching up on a past message, or you're one of our many long-distance partners who tune in every week, would you consider giving back to support the ministries and missions of Rosewood Church? You can do so easily through our website, rosewoodchurch.org. And if you're listening and you're local to the West Michigan area, we would love to have you in person when the time is right for you. Again, I pray this blesses you and helps you grow in your love of Jesus Christ. Good morning, everybody. Enjoy this natural light because soon it will be gone. Oh, no. Happy fall, everybody. Um, Welcome to Rosewood Church. My name is Austin Vondercheck. I'm one of the pastors here at Rosewood. And whether you're in here or out there, it is great to have you a part of this church today. Uh, We're going to get right into it today. And we're going to get right into it through a question. Here's a question I have for you. What was the last thing that broke your heart? What was the last thing that, that broke your heart? Now, exclude fictitious movies and fictitious plots and, you know, things that just aren't real. What was the last thing, what was the last human thing that broke your heart? Maybe what comes to your mind, I mean, it could be a, could be a person, could be a situation, could be an injustice, uh, could be a circumstance, it could be something local, it could be regional, it could be international. It's really unlimited number of, of things that uh, unfortunately in this world can break our heart. But what was the last thing that broke your heart? <clears throat> Today we're starting a new study on, uh, that, that centers really around a story of how God uses a man's broken heart to change the course of history. The, the way that God uses a man named Nehemiah, a man who, whose heart was broken, whose compassion was touched, and who used that compassion and that brokenness to enact change and again, change the course of history for the good of his people. Now, the, the story of Nehemiah, if, if you're not familiar with it, the story of Nehemiah is a story that's preserved uh, in the Old Testament. And uh, it's certainly important enough and can be understood uh, on its own if you were to just open your Bible and start at Nehemiah 1 1 and, and read. However, I think it's just good to know that. The book of Nehemiah, or the story accounted in Nehemiah, is kind of like a a part two of a larger story. Before Nehemiah is a book called Ezra, and it accounts the story of someone named... Excellent. Okay. And, and, and the story of Ezra uh, is, well, Ezra is, like Nehemiah, is a Jew who was in exile and serving under a foreign king. And Ezra was given permission by the king to return to the promised land, specifically to return to Jerusalem, which had been destroyed, and to rebuild the temple and to resettle uh, some of the Jews back into Jerusalem. Now, that was Ezra's goal, and Ezra is successful in doing those things. However, uh, resettling people and building the temple was not all that was necessary in order to successfully inhabit Jerusalem again, certainly not like it was was before. There was still more work to do. Uh, Specifically, the walls were still in shambles around the city. Now, we today, we don't really have walls 
like Jerusalem had a wall. And it, we don't, I mean, the closest thing structurally we might have is like a fence, but really that's more for privacy, not so much security. A, a wall is, um, I mean, in a modern term, uh, it, it's really more like, uh, you know, instead of walls, we have, um, we have deadbolts right? We've got ring cams. We've got metal detectors at certain points of, of entry or around places that we want to keep secure, like, for instance, your home. However, uh, I don't know if you have a metal detector at your house, uh, but for my house, we do. And uh, no, that wasn't good. Anyway, moving on. So here's the point, though, is that, that a city in that day, okay, that city, in that time, a city without a wall is like having a house without a front door, okay? You're probably going to, if you take your front door off, you're probably going to be fine for, I don't know, a little while, but every day and every night is kind of like a roll of the dice until something's going to happen as a consequence of you not having a front door. So is the case for a city without a wall uh, in this point in, in history, you are defenseless towards any enemy. And so Jerusalem's previous wall was destroyed. Ezra had not rebuilt it. And here's how the news reaches Nehemiah. It says that Hanani, one of my brothers, which is Nehemiah's, he writes in the first person, uh, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province, uh, are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So Nehemiah's experience, his, his, his response to the news that Jerusalem is without a wall, uh, his response of mourning because of this news is something that we're going to, is an experience that we're going to refer to throughout this, this series. And it's something called a divine burden is the, the name or the phrase that we're going to give to it. A divine burden. Now, a divine burden is a, a God-given, compassionate, emotional response to the misfortune or the mistreatment of another person. A, a, a divine burden experientially is something, again, that breaks your heart. It's something that moves you to tears. It's something that makes your stomach turn. It's an injustice that keeps you up at night. A divine burden is a weight that can crush you if you let it. A divine burden may even make you extremely angry when faced with this injustice or this mistreatment of another person. A divine burden may be what you thought of when I asked you what was the last thing that broke your heart. Every person will be gifted divine burdens. I think it's actually impossible to move through life without receiving divine burdens in our life. And, and this divine burden within you is a blessing. It hurts, but it's a blessing. It is a gift given to you by God. A divine burden is one of the ways that God speaks into our souls and into our hearts. In fact, any person who has ever accomplished anything of any significance for the good of anyone, when you get down to it, has a divine burden. I mean, think about just some, some people that maybe come to mind very easily. Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa had a divine burden 
for the impoverished. Dr. Martin Luther King had a divine burden for the injustice of people of color. And it doesn't just go like, it's not just big names though, right? Because it, again, it's, it's us too. It's, it's regular, ordinary people who receive divine burdens. Uh, for instance, a friend of mine, uh, a, a pastor friend of mine, uh, realized one day that there were, and this was a number of years ago, uh, realized that there were no Spanish-speaking churches between Grand Rapids and the Lakeshore. And he doesn't speak Spanish, but for him, it just caught him. And I'm sure he was not the first person to realize this fact, but he was the first person to do anything about it. And while he didn't know Spanish himself, he found, over time, found someone who did. And he raised that person up to be a church planter, and that person started the first church in this corridor that was entirely Spanish-speaking. That one church, in just a matter of a couple years, became four churches. And now, today, if you are Spanish-speaking, you can find a church in this area that you can connect with. That wasn't always the case. But it began with a divine burden within a person who said there is a segment of this population that is completely missed. And it is not okay. And so he acted. And, and, and Nehemiah's burden was for Jerusalem and for his people. He knew what Jerusalem was supposed to be and he mourned the fact that it wasn't. It left him in, in tears. Sometimes when, when God speaks to us through divine burdens, we will do what we can, or we will at least do our best to shut it down. Because a divine burden hurts. I mean, we call it a, a burden for a reason. It truly, a divine burden truly hurts. So instead of leaning into this, this blessing, we, we turn to distractions. Instead of letting ourselves feel and, and be exposed to that which makes us feel this burden for our fellow human beings, what we do is we, we divert our eyes. We, we take a, a different route home so that we don't have to see a person or see an area that makes us hurt. We drink, we smoke, we shop, we eat, whatever it takes for us to distract. Because if we can, if we can forget about the burden that God has given us, then we can also stop, to, stop feeling that which the burden gives to us. But Nehemiah didn't distract or numb or ignore. Nehemiah says, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Nehemiah shows us the first step when God gives us a divine burden, which is simply to receive the burden, to accept it. Like the beginning of a, of a mission First, we have to accept the mission for ourselves, not, not ignore it because it's uncomfortable. Don't, don't numb yourself because you're sad. Don't quit because it seems, seems bigger, uh, uh, bigger than you. Um, don't become callous by indifference. God is not giving you this divine burden just so that you can feel like garbage. He's giving it to you because you are capable of enacting change in this world, positive change. And that divine burden is a starting point. And the starting point when we receive a divine burden is to receive it, not ignore it, not numb it, but to receive it. And then Nehemiah goes straight to step two. Step two is to pray. 
And this, I, I mean, in a lot of ways, this makes sense because if a divine burden is given to us by God, then it makes sense that we should return to the source of the gift. So we pray. And, and a divine burden is produced by these two kind of colliding forces. It's the compassion of God and, 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 the compa- and, and your compassion. Now, compassion, as we, uh, well, speaking of divine burdens, actually, call back to a few weeks ago, Possibility Sunday, a, a pastor named Eric Peterson was here, and, and uh, uh, for him, his, his divine burden was for people uh, who had, or people in their family who have some sort of developmental disability and, and didn't have a church home to be a part of. And so he helped start, he and I together helped start the church at, at, at Benjamin's Hope, and, and which was just designed for people like that. That began with a divine burden. But anyway, the point is, he said something that kind of stuck with me. It was a good reminder, which is that the word compassion means to suffer with. So when we have compassion, it means suffering with whatever it is that we are compassionate about. And a divine burden is produced when these two powers of compassion, compassion combine, combine. The compassion of God, a compassion which compelled God to take on flesh and enter into our world and suffer with us. And that is met with our compassion, our ability to somehow innately actually push aside our own interests for the good of another person and to suffer with willingly another person when our compassion meets the compassion of christ return to the source of what is produced through prayer nehemiah actually gives an account of of what he prays the the last part of chapter one uh details his prayer but here's what's cool you can go back and you can read it yourself however at the end of the prayer Uh, not included in the prayer, is a one-liner, a fantastic one-liner. It's basically, he's accounting the thought that popped into his head after praying to God, after receiving a divine burden. Here's what it says. He says simply, I was the cupbearer to the king. What does being a cupbearer have to do with building a wall in Jerusalem? I mean, so what? The guy's a waiter. What does that have to do? How is that going to accomplish it? How is this a, a message from God? Well, okay, cupbearers today, we don't really have cupbearers. Uh, there's no one. And anybody trained in cupbearing? No, not a single one. Okay. Um, yeah, cupbearing, not really a thing anymore. A cupbearer at that time was uh, basically, well, it was a part of the king's defenses. Uh, this cupbearer was an individual who was highly trusted and was highly ranked within the kingdom or within that city. And this person was there to ensure, basically, that the drinks that the king or the nobles received wasn't poisoned. And uh, this person had to be above reproach and, and above bribery. He had to be, he or she had to be completely, perfectly trustworthy. Okay, so he's not just a waiter to the king. He is the cupbearer. And here's what this also means. The fact that he's a cupbearer means that he has direct, daily, close contact with the individual who has the means 
and the authority that he needs to accomplish this divine burden that God has given to him. Something that is far bigger than what he can simply accomplish himself. Even if he knows how to build a wall perfectly, he needs resources, he needs people, he needs the, even the ability to be released from his position to go and accomplish this. And he is the cupbearer to the king. This has always been true. And now it takes on new meaning through prayer. God shows him that this is more than just his job. This is what God has orchestrated for him to carry out his divine burden. And so the story continues. He says, I took the wine and I gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, what, uh, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. Now pay attention to the next detail because it's important. He says, I was very much afraid. Now remember this line because we're going to move along into the next point because the next point is action. After we've accepted the burden, after we've received it, after we've prayed, eventually it will be time to act. And Nehemiah, in this scene that we just read, is standing on the threshold of action. And you know what you will always find on the threshold of action? Fear. Fear lives on the threshold of action. You will always encounter fear, almost like a, the troll and the kids, you know, the kids' fairy tale. It, it, the, the fear is like the troll that guards the transition from the theoretical to the practical. And here's, here's why I think that is, is because when we have a divine burden, and, and we dream and we imagine what could be. When we imagine the ways that, that, that you could uh, make this world a better place, to make Christ known in new ways, when you imagine those things, when you dream, you know why that's so much fun? Because there's no risk. You get to imagine what it's going to be, but there is no risk. There's nothing on the line. Your reputation's not on the line. Your resources aren't on the line. There is no risk. You are just imagining what could be. But then you cross from the theoretical, you cross the threshold from the theoretical to the practical, and you will encounter fear. And many dreams, many divine burdens die on the threshold of action because of fear. Now, this could have been said for Nehemiah. Clearly, he was, by his own admission, he was afraid. It was on his mind and on that threshold of action. It is not uncommon to be hit with just all of the ways that you can fail. I mean, you th- you, even no matter how much in the, in the dreaming and preparation phase, no matter how many times you think through all the ways that you can be successful, all the ways that, 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 that God is with you and that you are aligned with his call, no matter what, you will, at the threshold of action, you will kind of feel the floor drop out from under you. Your confidence will go with with it. The threshold of action is where fear, is where fear lives. And, and then here's what it says. He says, I was very much afraid, but I, I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, if you are waiting for fear to go away before you take action on your divine burden, 
you will wait forever. If you have a divine burden and you are afraid to step into what God has for you, and so you're waiting for the coast to be clear and for your fears to get smaller, you will wait forever. Nehemiah was very much afraid, but he was afraid, but while he was still fearful, he acted. No one really likes to be afraid. There might actually be a few people who thrive on the fear of the unknown. They're crazy. I'm not like that. Most of you probably aren't like that either. Instead of the fear, instead of being exhilarated by the fear of the unknown, most of us, we want to have more information. We want to have a sense of control, of predictability, right? But, but for, for, for all, of, all of you who are like me, um, and you'd rather know everything and be in control, for most of us, fear is counter to action, and, and, and it can, fear can completely overtake us, can override us in our inability to act, and it, it's a very simple way. It's, a, it's a, a, a line that fear will use in many different forms uh, in your life to prevent you from acting, and, and, and here's, here's what it is. When I'm no longer afraid, then. That's the line. When I'm no longer afraid, then. When the fear goes away, then. And this when-then mentality is harmful to our divine burdens because it assumes something that isn't true, which is that the fear will go away while you still hold on to your divine burden. In reality, fear will only go away one of two ways. One is to feel the fear and to do it anyway. Or to try to wait it out. And in so doing, allowing the divine burden that God has given you to die out as well. And when it dies out, and when you no longer carry that divine burden within your heart, you will no longer be afraid. For Nehemiah, he acted in an opposite way of when then. It says that instead, while he was still very much afraid, he said to the king, he stood on the threshold and he took a step across. And here we, we see Nehemiah, it's so, so kind of interesting. We, we see a man who is struck with fear, who is, is, I think you could say, full of fear. And he's full of faith. He's terrified and has a burden that he refuses to give up on because it is a gift of God that he refuses to quit on. Jesus will give you divine burdens. Your heart will break for a person or a situation or an injustice. I mean, perhaps it is now. Maybe, maybe you came in with something that you've been thinking about. Maybe you've even been trying to kind of numb yourself from it and forget about it, and you're just out there thinking, oh, great, making me think of this again, right? Because the more we think about it, the more we feel it. So that's why we try not to think about these things. Maybe for some of you, something fresh has come to mind, something that God has put on your heart, something that is a truly a divine burden where you can act for the good of another person. Whatever it might be, allow yourself to feel the fear that comes with your compassion. Accept the burden, receive it. And after you receive it, pray into it. 
And then as you pray into it, be ready to act. And when you act, be ready and know that fear will be there. And just because there is fear there doesn't mean that you're on the wrong course. Nehemiah was going in the right direction, but he was full of fear. Now, as we continue the story, just to kind of wrap up where we are, he says, he, he does say to the king, he tells him what his divine burden is. He tells the king, here's what I need in order to do this. And the king graciously accepts the terms. And Nehemiah is promised the resources and the people and the time away in order to go build the wall around Jerusalem. However, just because the king allows it, and just because he's now acting and, and crossed that threshold of, of fear into action, just because of all those things, it doesn't mean that it got any easier for Nehemiah. In fact, this is the point right here where things got hard, where opposition hit. And that's what we're going to look at next week. But for now, let's pray. Jesus, though we may not want to say it this way, Thank you for our divine burdens. Thank you for the ways that our hearts break. For the people and the circumstances and the injustices, God, that you have exposed us to because we are your hands and feet and a part of your plan. God, I, I pray that the divine burdens represented in this room, God, would not go sailing by. God, empower us. Make us bold enough to, to not try to numb the pain or distract from the pain that we experience as a part of these burdens. God, help us to look at these injustices and the mistreatment of other human beings. Help us to look them in the eye and not turn away. Accept that these are parts of our world. These are parts of our community. And to feel that burden but not so that we can be miserable. God, embolden us to act as a part of these divine burdens that you have given us. God, thank you for the ways that you speak into our lives in this way. And God, make us bold as people of your word. In your name we pray. Thank you again for making Rosewood a part of your day. Now go in peace to love and serve the Lord.